Welcome to the Probate Realtor Show, your one source for selling and buying real estate through trust and probate. Hear directly from the best attorneys and trusted advisors on how executors and administrators navigate the probate process in and out of court. Being a personal representative or successor trustee can be a daunting task, and often beneficiaries don't have a clear plan. Let us help you make the right decision for your clients, your family, and your legacy. And now, here's your host, the probate realtor himself, Matias Baker Mazzucci. Welcome, everybody, to another very exciting episode. Today, our guest is Krista Hermans. Hi, Krista. Hello there. It's so good to have you on the show. You are the estate planning planning mom. I am. I am the estate wow. planning mom. You are. If if any any before even I get into anything, if anybody, if you have social media, please follow follow Krista because she is a wealth of knowledge and and so much fun um, to follow on social media. Thank uh, you. Thank you for being on the show. What I wanted to do to begin with is I wanted to to enlist your help in handling some estate planning objection. Okay. So one of the things that we hear a lot in the estate planning world is that people say, I'm too young to do estate planning. You know, what do you say to people that say that? that? So there's really two sides that I look at it um, is one, are you potentially in college? Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe you have, and so then maybe we'd be dealing more with their parents in, in, from a planning perspective, because what happens is if you have let's say 18 to 24 year olds that they don't really have much in assets. The thing that we want to make sure that they're planned for that is if something happens, some type of emergency that they're in the hospital, right? And right. what if they're in college out of state, then you have parents that because the, the child is no longer a child and they are an adult, the parents can't find out any information. They can't right. make decisions and they don't know what's going on. So that's the first thing is that parents get locked out of any emergency that could happen if the child isn't able to actually communicate and say, yes, I want you telling my parents what's going on. Okay. That, make, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's the first one. The second one is you don't need to be Bill Gates level to have an estate plan right? Anybody over the age of 18. And one example that I have, um, we have this client, um, his son passed away and he was 28 years old. Oh, wow. Didn't have a ton of money in the bank. He had some investment accounts, um, retirement through work. The problem was, is because he was so young, he didn't have beneficiary designations on any of his investments or retirement accounts. He had a ton of stuff in his Apple iCloud account. And now we're, we had to file a probate right? Yes. For this, for this young adult, 28, didn't own a home, you know, mm -hmm. had a car, some bank accounts, but we, because, because of the threshold with the assets he did have. Yeah. And so now it's going to cost so much money and just the emotional side of the parents having to go through probate for their son. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Whereas if there was just, you know, documents in place, this, some of this stuff could have been avoided. Yeah. I have actually sold more than one property in my career where um, it was the parents, unfortunately, selling the uh, the child's home, you know, so so the adult child's home. And and they all happen to be probates because mm -hmm. there was no planning. Obviously, nobody in their 20s think that something's going to happen to them or in their early 30s um, thinks that something's going to happen to them. But yeah. um, it's it's better to be prepared for these yeah. type of things. Now, you mentioned something like some people say I don't have enough assets. That's one of the that's one of the objection. People say. Okay, all I own is a home, that's it. Mm -hmm. But it's important to understand that there are costs that are involved with probate. 
Yeah. And if you, those who are left behind, you want to make it as easy as possible on them. They already experienced the loss. So what do you say to the objection? Look, all I own is my home. So I don't even really have to worry about it. What is something that we can tell to people who think that way? I mean, even just owning a home is a lot, right? right. In, in, in the American dream, right? Owning your home. Other things to consider is, do you have life insurance? Right. right. That's another one that a lot of people don't think about as an asset because it mm -hmm. only comes into play when they pass away. Right. And so that is really what I see is the most common is there's life insurance, maybe retirement accounts and somebody and they own a home, whether it's right. a single person or a married couple. The problem is, is that when you own those assets, even if the bank has a mortgage, you have a mortgage, right? It's still what is the value of your home? And Southern California you know, median prices of home, probably slightly over $800,000 if I'm being on the lower side. <laughs> um, a probate in the state of California, it's set by statutory fees. And so the cost to actually go through is based on the value of the estate. And so let's just say that there was a house worth $500,000. And that was the only asset that was in the estate, right? Like you said, I only mm -hmm. own a house. So $500,000 estate, the fair market value, it would cost $26,000 in statutory fees wow. for that house to have to go through probate. And then on top of that, you add in filing fees um, for the court cost, publication fees, um, bond fees. So that's another two to $3,000. So that's almost $30,000 that would come out of an estate for the house to have to go through probate to be distributed to the heirs. And that can be avoided at a fraction of the cost by having a trust in place. Exactly. And so let's dispel another myth, which is estate planning is too expensive. It's only for the wealthy. It's an expensive thing. I don't need it. Krista, why is that not true? Well, in the example I just gave you, a $500,000 estate would cost almost $30,000 to go through probate. Right. Whereas if you did estate planning now, right, it could avoid that cost in the future. The right. other side of it that people don't think about is, well, what if it's not that you're just planning for your death? What if you're planning for you getting sick? Right. And that's where people don't think about it. Because I see this all the time where people come in and their parents are sick or one parent who owns the house, they live in the house and now they have Alzheimer's and they need to go into an assisted living facility. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that they never did any estate planning. They never signed any documents, any right. legal documents. And now the parent is, has no capacity to actually sell the house to move out and move into yes. assisted living. So then it has to go through a court conservatorship. Yes. Which is going to again be much more than have doing an estate plan in the beginning. Yes. And and conservatorships just so that people are aware of which you know they always require court confirmation. So you, it's not an easy process to do. You, you don't the court just doesn't say okay fine this person is in a conservatorship go ahead and do whatever you want. It's not quite quite like that, you know. So those, that's something to keep in mind. Um, here's something else that people may object to do their estate plan. They say, you know what, I'm 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 in my 30s, I'm in my 40s, and I'm in my 50s. What if I change my mind? You know, I don't want to designate somebody. You know, like I, uh, if I change my mind in three years, Krista, I don't want to do my estate planning right now because I don't even know who I want to be in charge when I go. Yeah. <clears throat> so the biggest thing with that is that. If you have something now and you have a revocable living trust, you have a power of attorney, advanced healthcare directive, any of those documents can be changed at any time. I have clients that we've done, we've done trusts 
for. And, you know, we review their plans with them every three years and maybe they just don't like their guardians anymore. So they update their guardian nomination. But you having something is right in writing is better than having nothing at all, right? That choice that you have now is better than the choice of nothing. Because then at least the court knows what your wishes are. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that makes total sense. Now, in, but in, in that example, when, when somebody, you said you with your clients, you revise it every three years. Mm-hmm. What is your recommendation of how often somebody should be looking at their estate plan and see if there are any changes or if they just to say, no, you know what, everything looks good. Let's just leave it as is. Yeah. So generally, the mm-hmm. um, I would recommend three to five years unless okay. there's some type of big life event. Right. right. So a new baby comes along, somebody gets married, there's a divorce, there's a death, somebody moves away, right? Got it. And it's anybody that's in your, I call them your, your VIPs, your very important people. Anybody that's in that group of VIPs that gets affected, right? You need to make sure that you're updating stuff. It's so important because sometimes I've had people recently where I've done trust administration. And so that's, that means that they had a trust in place and then they passed away. So the family's coming to me to do the administration. And the trust was done 30 years ago Mm. and it was never had any updates made to it. And it's lacking that some stuff that we need now, because it was done so long ago and no changes have been made, Mm. you know? So it's important that once you do it, you know, while it's still valid, it may not be exactly what your wishes are, or it may be missing some key things that are needed at that time. So it's always good to update it. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Now, what about that? If somebody comes to you and says, oh, Chris, uh, you know, I don't trust my family to, to carry out my wishes. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't need estate planning because I don't trust any of them to do, to do what I say, even if I okay. say it. <laughs> well, <laughs> what is your answer to that objection? Well, if you don't trust your family, then it is so important to make sure that you put a plan in place because then if something happened to you and you had no plan, your family is going to be petitioning the court and they will be in charge. Right. Right. So that's the first thing is you have to say, I don't trust my family. Who is here is who I actually want. And so there are what we call professional fiduciaries. And I have some clients the while, yes, it does cost more money, it makes sure that you are hiring a professional only if something happens to you right. to be in that role to step in and make sure that the assets are cared for and distributed the way that you want. Okay. Because I, I do have cases like that where a family will come in and they say, we just don't trust anybody in our family to manage the money. Right. You know, they're great with our kids, but they're horrible with money and we don't want them to be in charge. So we have a fiduciary in that capacity. Very good. Very good. Yes. And and so that's something that you, you can um, recommend if somebody ca- came to you with this particular problem and said, look, I don't want to do my estate planning, but I want to be honest with you. I don't want anybody in my family to be handling the situation. When, I, when I'm gone, you can always you know, recommend a professional fiduciary or somebody that you, know, you trust that that would be a good, a good fit for yes. that. I, I personally have interviewed professional fiduciaries in Southern California all over to try and find different fits to be able to work with my clients. And I work with a handful of people every week, right? Because it's, it's just, it's something that you need to, you need to know that there is somebody out there to do that. If you, cause you want to have that feeling of that, that sense of peace of mind, right. And not want to have that weighing on you that how can I have my family do this? There's somebody out there that can help. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. Something else here. Here's an example. Somebody says, look, 
my sister, she's going to be the benefit. She's the only person in my life that I care. She's going to be the beneficiary. She's going to be the guardian of my kids. I don't have to worry about any of that because everything is going to her and she'll take care of my kids if something were to happen. To me. Mm-hmm. What do you say to somebody who comes with, with that objection? So I, I actually hear that quite often where <clears throat> someone says, oh, well, my sibling is going to be the guardian for my kids. So I'm just going to make them the beneficiary on all my stuff. So mm-hmm. it avoids probate court and it just goes directly to my sister. So the problem with that is, is that if something happened to you and your sister did get guardianship of your children, again, nothing's in writing. So the court doesn't know that you actually want your sister. So she's mm-hmm. petitioning the court without any information from you. Then she's the beneficiary, which means that she has a check that was written to her for your life insurance, right? So she has absolutely no instructions on how she is to give that money to your children. Right. So there's, she, not that you're, I mean, you trust your sister, but she has, she has nothing that's nothing, no, no agreement, no legal writing, no court order, no nothing that says how that money is to be used for the kids. So she can literally take that money and put it into a joint checking account with her spouse. Okay. Mm -hmm. And at that point, well, you know, they're taking care of the kids. So that makes sense. But what if they get divorced? Now that spouse gets half of your kid's money because the money was commingled. Or what if your sister passed away? then all that money that was in that bank account now goes to her spouse or her kids and your kids have nothing because it wasn't put into a trust that's kept separate and that has instructions on how it's to be distributed for your children. Very nice. That, that makes, that makes total sense. It's interesting because you really have to like, got a plan. Like this thing's like, you know, it takes like, so what is the process? Like somebody comes to you, Kristen, say, look, you, you did it. You convinced me very good. (laughs) <laughs> these, these objections that I presented to you, you were able to handle them all so well. Yeah. Now let's do the estate plan. What is the process of working with you when, when, you, when a client first comes to you? So generally what we do is uh, we have a phone consultation. In the phone mm-hmm. consultation, we go over a little bit about estate planning, talk about your situation um, and answer any questions that you have. The next step then is to schedule a virtual, we call it a family planning appointment Mm -hmm. with the attorney. And so either myself or one of our other attorneys at our firm will then meet with the clients to be able to go through what their goals are, right? What are Mm -hmm. they trying to accomplish? Because that's important that we know. We also then will go over assets that you have, family situations so that we're aware, right? If there's any specific things that we need Mm -hmm. to have knowledge of. And in that meeting, the attorney will design a plan for you that meet that meets your needs and your goals. Okay. Next step is we'll do all the work that we do here. A few weeks later, you'll get a summary to review to make sure, yep, everything looks great there. Have another review with the attorney to make sure everything is correct, answer any questions that you have. And then depending on where you're located, you would either do a virtual signing appointment, um, which a lot of our clients really like. They don't have to drive anywhere to be able to have to do it, or they can go to one of our offices to sign the documents in person. And then we'll get all of the documents scanned in. Um, We'll file any deeds with the county that we need to, if there's any transfers for the home, and then we'll send a portfolio back to the client. Very nice. And then let's talk a little bit about, you know, when after the fact, so you have done the estate plan and then the family comes to you and says, now it's time for the trust administration, which is a service 
that surprisingly enough, I talked to a lot of attorney. There's a lot of attorneys that are just estate planning, estate planning, estate planning, or probate litigation, probate litigation, probate litigation. And, and not a lot of people do trust administration. When somebody comes to you and say, you know, unfortunately, we've just experienced this loss, we need to take action. What are the steps that a family can expect to be doing in order to, in essentially, you know, like activate the, the will and the, the trust and the will and all the, all the estate planning documents that were done? When we find out that somebody has passed away, um, we will meet with the successor trustee, so the person who's going to be in charge, and we'll meet with them to understand the family dynamics, um, who are who are the the beneficiaries of the trust, mm -hmm. and what assets are involved. And then from there, we come up with a plan of, okay, how is this going to, how, how is it going to be carried out, right? Um, are there is there one child that everything is going to? Are there multiple children? Do we think there's going to be any issues with any of the potential heirs or beneficiaries that we need to have knowledge of? Within 60 days after somebody passes is usually when things need to happen. And so notices have to go out to the beneficiaries. Um, we need to provide notices to different, like to the credit bureaus, to government agencies. We'll need to lodge the will with the court. And then again, figure out what are the assets to figure out how those are going to be either transferred to the beneficiaries or if things need to be sold, like through um, a trust administration, through a sale, and then, you know, the proceeds then distributed or are, is one child going to take the house and, you know, yes. is there enough money for it to be distributed equally? So every situation is going to be different. We have to tailor it depending on the assets as well as the family dynamics. I mean, you, you know, in conversations that we've had, it, you know, maybe there's two kids and the one kid who's administering the trust is, you know, wanting to do all this stuff. And then you have the other kid who has lived off, lived off the parent that passed away their whole life and they're in the house. And now we need to figure out how to get them out of the house yes. and sell the house. Right. So it's, I mean, every family situation is different and it's, it's really just trying to make sure that people don't feel so lost and that we are here to help. And that there are people that, you know, this is what we do right, is, um, is really just trying to, to get into hopefully alleviate some of the stress that they're going through. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now, let's talk about you a little bit, your journey, which is law was not your first career. I love I that. It. No. <laughs> Tell no. me how, how it happened. Tell me, you, you grew up in Ventura, is that correct? Okay. Yes, Tell me I'm how your journey. Oh, very nice. Tell me about you. My wife is also from Ventura County, so I, I good people come from up there. Oh. Tell me how you happened to how, how, what was your journey to, toward, uh, you know, estate planning? So I, my first career was actually a project manager. I used to work for Citibank um, and I traveled around the world. I actually lived in the Philippines for about a year. Oh, wow. Nice. And it was, I mean, it was amazing to be there. I, you know, I was immersed in the Filipino culture. Um, and so it's always fun when I have Filipino clients that come in and I tell them, I was like, oh, I lived in Makati and they're, you know, they're so excited because then I can share and like my experiences of being there, but it was, you know, a weird time in the economy after about being there for a year, all of the Americans got laid off in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And so I came back home and I liked working for a big corporation at that time, at least in that kind of culture, but I didn't want to move away from home. Like it was great to be back to Ventura and, you know, it just, it just felt so great to be here. I decided that I, I'd always had the idea of this kind of legal side and I just, mm -hmm. I didn't know what that meant. And so I was, I was, I did two things at that point. I had started working at the district attorney's office as a volunteer victim advocate for domestic mm. violence victims. Oh, nice. 
And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to see if this is the area that I want. And so I would literally go with victims to court and, you know, stand with them as they were going up against the people that hurt them. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of that, I was doing ride-alongs to train for being a cop, right? That was like my two. And in the end, like, it was just, it was like a balancing. I did ride-alongs with all the cities around and I, I chose the law side. And so then I started, I started law school shortly thereafter. Wow. So you went to, to, to law school as an adult. I you did. Know. Yeah. I did. So you, you had to work and go to law school. So I did, but I actually worked at a law firm while I went to law school. And I think that that was a very big success for me passing the bar on the first time is having that real experience of, you know, being able to apply it. So because the California bar is, is really hard and it's very stressful and it takes a lot to study for it. So I was very happy when I passed it. <laughs> that, that, that is wonderful. Now, before I let you go, uh, let me, uh, you know, this is the back of the business card. I have, I have a list of uh, 30 questions that okay. are numbered one to 30. Up, I'm going to pull my business card out and see if it's on the back of mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is there a number where I'm looking for a number between one and 30? Okay. Uh, let's go with 22. 22. Okay. What technology do you wish you understood better? Uh, cryptocurrency. Really? Yeah. Tell me I why. Think, well, I think it's, especially from an estate planning perspective, um, just undering, understanding that and like the metaverse, I think is another one I would, I would also yeah. choose. It's so new and we need to know how it works to be able to plan for it. And Absolutely. cryptocurrency, I've, I've had some exposure to it and been able to do some planning with it, but there's just, you know, all the companies are different when it comes to planning and what they allow. And so it's right. really being able to get into it. Very nice. All right, let's do one more. Another okay. number from one to 30. 10. 10. If you could have an endless supply of any food, what would it be? <laughs> Probably tacos. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love tacos. That is amazing. You're in the right, you're in the right place, Southern California, right? Yes. The right place for it. Yes. Very good. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Before I let you go, um, you know, some people will be watching this show. And so the your contact info are going to be in our show notes, but some people are going to be listening to this show. So what is the best way to get a hold of you? So you can um you can follow me on Instagram. It's at estate planning mom. You know, we, we have a lot of fun with Instagram and just being able to hopefully make estate planning a little more lighthearted while also showing how important it is. So you can message me on Instagram. Um, you can also um, go to our website, hermanslaw.com or call us 805-518-9633. Um, but if you go to our website, lots of information on there and you can find a phone number and book a consult there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's Krista, the estate planning mom. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. And thanks everybody for joining. And maybe we'll have you back some other time. I feel like we only scratched the surface. We did. We did. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Bye everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.